All right, so now we're running. So first off, I'd really appreciate you guys able to uh, uh, re-get together on this. Um, this is the first time that we've had kind of an ongoing chat about uh, uh, suttas with two people. So this is really great. <laughs> this is yeah, it's good yeah. doing it like this. Pardon? It's good doing it like this. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So the last place where we left off was about the place where uh, we had come to uh, the the middle section mm -hmm. of uh, the up and down of the uh, practice of Paticca Samapada. And so we were at about uh, uh, section 21.4. Uh, that's how we see it, which is what the uh, uh, the bhikkhus had had said uh, from the question: uh, uh, Is this how you see it? Uh, and basically, this is where we uh, left off of with the it's jati bhikkhuve uh, <clears throat> that leads to. old age sickness and deaths so jati here is when we have jati naroda that means if nothing is born or if nothing gets started mm. it's not going to uh fall apart, <coughs> break apart a clear example of that is is that uh the, the the farmer goes to town uh and and buys a hammer okay the birth of that hammer as his hammer <laughs> and then before he gets home somehow he loses that hammer okay. that's the old age sickness and death anything that he grabs hold of as mine he's going to lose it and mm -hmm. the attending feelings with the loss of that and yet many people when they see this word jati or worse still they see that the translator saw <laughs> that word jati and thought that it meant something different than merely the starting of something or the birth of something. When when we uh, there's a song that says uh, about the birth of the blues, in in the sense of uh, blues as a kind of jazz music, and the mm -hmm. whole point of the birth of the blues is the celebration of the starting up of this uh, genre of jazz. It's not talking about uh, something blue coming out of the wound of a woman. <laughs> and yet that's how it is seen with the idea of, of rebirth. That's why there, he actually is translating it as rebirth, but he's not getting that rebirth out of the Pali uh, uh, lexicon or uh, the uh, Pali English dictionary. He's getting that out of other translators' use of the word. So this is a way of how mistakes get propagated. Mm -hmm. Yep. And because of that, they get ingrained. Yeah, okay. I'm seeing them get incorporated into, into newer dictionaries and newer versions of dictionaries. Mm-hmm. And oh, they get... It. And they get as number one in the new dictionary because of so many translations that are using that mm -hmm. uh, translated that way. 
but I think there was a poly term for actual rebirth, but it was a longer word. I forgot how it was, and it was specifically meaning rebirth, and it's not used a lot of the times. Mostly, it's jati, which means be- and and bhava, which means becoming. I think, but some uh-huh. people have it as being or existence. Okay. Well, guess what? Bhava is lighting a match. Mm-hmm. And Jati is setting fire to that little pile of ting, uh, tenderwood. Mm-hmm. And that's the birth of the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's all that this means. And in fact, that's what fire has been used throughout this sutta as the example of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That things have to have a fuel. <clears throat> And that the uh, the kind of rebirth that is magical thinking has no fuel. But <laughs> this, this is real stuff. This is the way that it is. Okay, so now that they see it how it is, notice that from here on, it's not retranslated. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, let's look at the poly anyway. When continued existence ceases, Rebirth ceases. What they're talking about, if you stop starting things, they don't get started. <laughs> and in uh, the physical reality is, is that if the woman doesn't go through pregnancy, the baba, she will not give birth to a baby. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only example. That <laughs> 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 this is widespread in all things. Um, and when we talk about it in the sense of rebirth, we focus it far too narrowly, never mind that we're even focusing far too narrowly on something that's even wrong way of looking at things. So this is a very broad thing. So now we go to Bhava Naroti, Naroda, Vikuve, uh, uh, is Jati Naroda. And so you can see now, uh, uh, Bhava Naroda, uh, Bhante Jati Naroda, and yes, we see that, <laughs> and then Bhava Naroti Jati Naroti T. So he's keeping repeating this over <laughs> and over again. Okay, this is an important point that if you don't get something started, it doesn't take life. Yeah. <clears throat> And that's all that he's talking about. This yeah. is basic cause-effect, cause-effect. Mm-hmm. That's what the Buddha is trying to get into it. Okay. Now he just continues on with uh, Bhava Niroti, uh, uh, Jati Niroti, and Upadana Niroti, Bhava Niroti. This is uh, 21.11. Where you yep. can see the Upadana Narota and then the Bhava Naroti. Okay, and so he's repeating it over and over again. Uh, and this should be done if people are going to have the impact of it, that it should be translated rather than just left out because it seems repetitive. <laughs> over and over it is. But in fact, this is one of the thing this is one of the sections where I really enjoyed Mahasamsak is because when he would go through this in the poly, it was strictly repetitive. Mm-hmm. Who is he? Uh, this is my friend who is the abbot at Watt Greensboro, 
who was trained as a chanting monk at Wat Po in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. All right, okay. And that he was trained by the same teacher that uh, that uh, was so famous in uh, Burma for being able to chant the entire Tripitaka took about uh, three months, so I hear. But he was a good friend with well. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. <laughs> okay. And so uh, that's why, um, actually, this story is why I decided to live with uh, Achan uh, Mahasamsak in Greensboro. It was because I had this connection with him through his teacher and my teacher. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's really interesting, you know, that these two teachers are the stars of the show for Thailand in the, the World uh, Buddhist Council in 1954 through 56. <laughs> and that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa gave both the introductory address and the closing address. That was, so he was the team lead. He, he did the delegation. And that this monk that... Uh, from Wat Po, uh, was kind of the star of the show. Uh -huh. He was the star of the show because he was there for day after day reciting sutras. Oh, okay. so, and that this one, as I mentioned, was one that Achan uh, Mahasamsak really savored. He liked this one. And he knew it literally by heart all of the Pali. And when he gets to this section of the Paticca Samapada is when it really gets lively or interesting because it's so repetitive. Uh. Okay. Um, and um, now we can see that it's a conversation between the Buddha back and forth. Yes, we get it. Avam no eti hoti. So that means that, yes, sir, we get it. <laughs> then it goes from Upadana Narota, Baba Narota, to Tanha Narota, Upadana mm -hmm. Narota, and then Tanha uh -huh. Narota, Bikave. And so now he's repeating it over and over again. And then we go down to the next one with the Evam Bhante, and then it's Tanha Narota, Upadana Narota, <laughs> Vedana Narota, Tanha Narota. And he's mm -hmm. walking it down through the steps backwards. And this should be actually in the translation. Oh, this is interesting. Vedan is translated as, one translation is also pain. That's interesting. Oh, yes. That's one thing that, in fact, if you go back into the any roots of Gujarati, you shall find that word Vedana as the word pain. Oh, I'll have to mm -hmm. ask my mother about that. Okay. Okay. I've not heard that in the Gujarati language before, but um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, what feelings matter? When we're joyful, we feel we forget all about those joyful feelings. It's the <laughs> yeah. pain we remember. Yeah. <laughs> not only that, but guess what? When we want something, when we have the feeling of wanting, that always leads to pain. Yep. Why? If we want it and we don't get it, we long for it and it's not me, or at least I'm not whole and complete mm -hmm. without it. And then later, if I do get it, I'll lose it. 
<laughs> and now, oh, I've lost my hammer. Oh, what's to become of me? <laughs> my hammer. <Yeah. laughs> yes, exactly so. Oh, and by the a... way, there's there's a story about my grandfather's hammer. Actually, it was a, an axe, a hand axe. <laughs> and he's had that same hand axe since he was a young man. He passed it down to his uh, to my father, and my father had it. For many years. Now the fact is, is that it's had five handles and two different heads, <laughs> but it's the same axe. <laughs> Just like everything else. Uh-huh. It's the same, even though all the parts well, guess what? The human body is exactly the same. In about seven years, you have lost every uh, tiny little um, ounce or even down to the molecule level of all the water that you had in your body seven years ago is gone. In fact, yeah. all of the elements, in fact, maybe occasionally very few, very heavy elements, like a very, very microgrammish kind of thing of gold will get lodged in and will stay there. But other than that, <laughs> And when I'm talking about that level of gold, we're talking about maybe two cents worth of gold. <laughs> that even a little package of gold leaf that you probably know about is far more valuable than the count. So anyway, everything in the body, even every cell has died and a new cell has taken place. Always Nothing changing. Everything is changing, but we have the idea of the illusion because the mind is slow and incapable of seeing things that are happening at such a fast rate. We take it uh, as ignorance, as consistency. To in fact, yeah. nothing is consistent. Everything's in flux. Everything's in turmoil. So... That's why things are inherently unsatisfactory, is because they rot. <laughs> so anyway, we've gone down now, I think the last place that I see, Alveda Naroda, Tanha Naroda. In other words, if you don't want it, you don't, uh, if you don't like it, you don't want it. If you, if you uh, don't dislike it, then you don't want to get away from it. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. That's all that this is meaning. And Pasa Naroda, Vedana. Contactor. Huh? Pasa uh, was contactor. I forgot what was for. Pasa. That, but this Pasa is the instantaneous contact mm -hmm. of the thought that we have in the mind, as opposed to the kind of contact that we would have in the sense of being in community or being oh, in a civilization. Yeah, Right, the kind of contact that we crave for. Yeah, this is a contact is of perception. Right, which is mm -hmm. out of the instinctual uh, uh, herding instinct. The instinct to herd together or to contact, to get along. That's the source of the draft animal mentality <laughs> we talked about. <laughs> okay, so now Pastor Naroda. Uh, 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 Nunko Bikave. Vedana Naroda. So it's going through the same thing with each one of them. This dialogue of everything is repeated over and over and over again. 
to get it in there. And the monks answer, Avam Nati Etahoti, over and over again. And it goes and goes. And finally, we get down to where he's picking it up again. And by the way, in this whole sequence, it goes both backwards again and then forwards again. Now, the question would be, why? What's this point about uh, backwards and forwards? The point is, is that when we look at it forwards, we look at it from the concept of the um, cause-effect relationship, that this causes that, that that doesn't happen until this happens. And when this happens, then that the sequence will be that that happens. And it's for each step along the way. However, it is extremely, because that is, in fact, some of these things happen really fast in the mind. It's extremely difficult for the beginner to see this stuff right away. That we have to start, in fact, at the end result of dukkha and understand what dukkha is. And then we back up a step and we see, oh, if I had not bought that hammer, then I would not have missed it when it was gone. And then I recognize if I had not wanted that hammer, I would not have bought it. And then the idea is, is that if I didn't want that hammer, because I didn't like that hammer, then I wouldn't have bought it. But my image was of hammers in general that I have seen before in my life. And I recognized that this hammer fit the bill and therefore I liked it. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go back to seeing about perception. So you can see, in fact, just with this version of the hammer, you can walk this stuff backwards. Unfortunately, it either takes too long for the sequence to occur or it happens so fast that we miss it. And so the the way then that we do it is that we understand it forward, but we practice it in reverse. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, like when we are sort of studying it, we pre- we study it in reverse, but when you like in, when you experience it happening, um, then you experience it going forwards. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. Once we catch it at a particular point, then we can watch the sequence of events. We can actually become the observer. And then when we start at a particular point, we can then ask the question, well, what really happened right before that? And next time I'll watch for that. Uh, and now yeah. I'll see it. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm at this new point, And I'll say, well, now that I'm at the point of liking it, why do I like it? Well, it fits and conforms with my image of hammers, okay? And so that's how we begin to walk this stuff backwards because we know it in forward orders and so we can actually begin to see it now in reverse order. Mm -hmm. And so as we go along, we recognize in the poly here that it's gone both forwards and backwards twice. But in the second time, it is extremely repetitive over and over and over and over. Every step of it, every 24 steps is talked about at least twice Mm -hmm. with the recognition that the monks do understand this. 
back and forth as a dialogue with the teacher. So that's how repetitiveness really helps. This stuff has to be repeated over and over and over again, and that's why it's such an excellent teaching tool for monks of the quality of Mahasamsak, who actually has set this whole thing to absolute memory. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, oh, you know Polly, and I said, no, not. <laughs> not compared to the guys that I know who do know Polly. <laughs> Ah, so let's get down to where he finally picks up again. Okay, so here we see uh, right at that point of the end of the second one, which we're at 21.51 now. When ignorance ceases, choices cease. That's what I said. Is this how you see it or not? Okay, and so... um, they're mm-hmm. they're actually repeating it in the in the quotation uh mm-hmm. a, a, a bante sankara narodo all right so when ignorance finishes then the sankara is finished in other words when you really look at what you're doing or if you're actually adding new wholesome things to your memory bank, new wholesome things to the memory bank will then be better accessed than the old stuff. So when we stop acting ignorantly out of the past and start living more in the present moment, then the effect of that old uh, Sankara Naroda, it stops. When ignorance stops, when we begin to look at what we're doing, then we stop Um, dealing mainly with the past and we start dealing with more wholesome things and more wise things and more present things and this is how we see it Avam no etahoti and he said go ahead sorry so um, uh, you said um, sankaras yesterday you were saying they're not choices but they're more like um, intentions no, they're more like memories. Memories, that's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, conditioning or determination. Uh, right. Determinations as determining something. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Okay. They're conditionings or conditioners. And in fact, in, uh, they became conditioned and how they were conditioned was through ignorance. When we were little kids, we made stuff up because we didn't know. Yeah. Uh. But we didn't know we didn't know. (laughs) And so when we're playing with that little car going zoom, zoom, zoom in the mind of the child, it's a real car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think I remember there was the Pali term for intention. It's Chetana. Okay. It's volition, intention, or directionality. How do you spell that? Uh, It's C-E-T-A-N-A, and the last A is long. Well, how the word ends Uh. depends upon case, gender, Mm -hmm. usage, all kinds of things. Yeah. But what you're actually spelling out is the word mind or chitta. Like the uh, chitta dhamma or chitta nupasana. Okay. It's It's the same word. 
So it comes from there. And it has okay. many, many defini mm -hmm. definitions. But generally when it's found, it's uh, unless the people know about it in the sense of uh, this time it's meaning intention. Mm -hmm. But most of the translations is always just translated as mind. Mm -hmm. Where in the Thai language, they will translate it in many different ways. And one of the ways they will translate uh, chit is into the word uh, jai, which is the word for heart. Okay. Oh. Okay which actually means emotions now. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. aren't our emotions full of intentions? <laughs> Help. Okay. So that's how that word is used. It's <coughs> used all over the place. Uh, so back to the, uh, the sutta. We're just about to close off this part. Uh, when he's talking, uh, getting an agreement, both you and I say this, when this doesn't exist, that is not. Due to the cessation of this, that ceases. That is, when ignorance ceases, then our ignorant memory system ceases to be used. Mm. When choices ceases, or when the sankara ceases, consciousness ceases. Now he's going back up, back up the ladder. When rebirth ceases, now I'm at 22.14. When birth ceases, old age, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness, and distress uh, ceases. And in fact, all of that is in this super duper long poly yes. word. But you can go in there and pick it out, and you can see the word dukkha about halfway through that word. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, here again, though, it's still using the word jati, jati naroda, jati marana. So, excuse me, jara marana. This is the word for death, marana. And then, uh, I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> uh, this is how this entire mass of suffering ceases. In other words, anywhere along the line, if you can break it up, then the cycle doesn't continue. And that the sooner we can break it up, and in general break it up, just like the, uh, the old farmer finally figured out, wait a minute, I don't have to farm anymore. <laughs> Therefore, I don't need hammers anymore. <laughs> Therefore, I don't want a hammer anymore, etc., like that. And so uh, the waking up or the ignorance now doesn't mean that he's got to go search around for hammers in his mind to think about what kind of hammer he wants. <laughs> He doesn't have to deal with the sand car because the ignorance is gone and he doesn't uh, do farming, so no need for a hammer. So you can see how in some cases, Paticca Samupada plays out very, very slow, methodically, regularly. And in other cases, you go, <laughs> what happened there? Why do I feel bad all of a sudden? <laughs> Okay, and so now we're going back, um, uh, knowing and seeing in this way, mendicants, would you turn back to the past? 
<laughs> thinking, okay, wait a minute, it's getting heavy here. Did we exist in the past? Do we not exist in the past? What were we in the past? How were we in the past? In other words, this is bordering on how deep in the past can we go to figure out who we are. But this is how we do. We spend all of our time in the past, but as though we don't think of it like this, this is exactly what we're doing. Who was I in the past? In the sense of how did I behave? What was going on? <laughs> Where was this all happening? Uh, how were we? And that in psychology, we call this psychological archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> after th after that's happened, then what happened? After being what? What did we uh, become in the past? This is really strangely stating it. Uh, it's not actually good English, but it's fairly closer to the to the way that the Pali is is stating it. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, let's understand that when we understand how the mind works. And we understand the dangers of living in the past, then we stop reflecting upon the past. Now, this is, in fact, what a lot of, in fact, you could say this that this is the actual disease of old age, <laughs> is living in the past, reminiscing yep. about the past, thinking about the past. Why? Because they got no future. <laughs> They can't get up and walk around. They can't go anywhere. They're, you know, in a wheelchair or maybe in a hospital bed in a nursing home or something like that. And all they've got is the past hmm. because they have not trained their minds to the present moment. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we don't deal in the past. No, sir. No, Hatembate. Knowing and seeing in this way, mendicants, would you turn forward to the future, thinking, well, what will I be in the future? Will we not exist in the future? How will we be in the future? Now, this can get magical also in the sense of what is my future life going to be like? What was my past lives like? Worrying and speculating and making stuff up. But knowing the way the mind works and knowing that it's working in this present moment, we don't do this anymore. How will we be in the future? After being this, then what will I be? When I graduate <laughs> from college, I'm going to get a good job. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, no, Bonte, we're not going to be messing with that stuff anymore. <laughs> no, hey, Tom. But in fact, there is that word, Tom. Okay. No, hey, Tom. You see that word, hey, Tom? Yep. That's actually the dative case, but it really is looking like uh, atamayata. <laughs> What's it the really dative? Is. What does dative mean? Dative case means that it is um, the object. Right. It's the object. Okay. Uh, like... When we say no way or no mm -hmm. chance, 
then that would be the same as saying there is no chance. Mm-hmm. And so we're automatically putting it in the dative case because mm-hmm. it's not the object. There is the is the noun. Mm-hmm. There is no chance or there is uh, nothing. No, hey, Tom, no, no doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Knowing and seeing in this way, mendicants, would you be undecided about the present thinking? What am I now? Am I? This is a statement. In fact, I see this one a lot of Buddhist students get into when they start understanding a little bit about not self or no self or anatta. And they start asking these questions. Who am I? Well, what (laughs) am I? If I'm not a me, then what am I? (laughs) Well, I'm not an I, so what am I? (laughs) <laughs> and here we go into language problems and understanding problems and the Buddha is saying hey trying to figure out stuff like who am I is <laughs> ridiculous don't worry about that don't don't yeah yeah am I am I not what am I am I a, am I a carpenter am I a computer scientist am I a uh, milk salesman <laughs> You know, because we often identify who I am with the profession I have or the clothes I wear or all of that kind of stuff. Then, in fact, a cop is never called a cop when he's out out of uniform. He, at best, is called an off-duty cop. (laughs) Yeah. And so, in that sense, the cop makes the identification with the clothing. And... The cop is not a cop. (laughs) The best he could do is I'm a human being confused about wanting to be in this stupid blue suit. (laughs) (laughs) It's dangerous in this blue suit. People shoot at it. It's like all these um, things we used to label ourselves with. They're all... um... Well, you could even argue that there's just so much more to it than just, just cop, just human, just uh, any of it. You well, can't put it in words. You can make a long list, but you can make that same long list next week, and it'll be <laughs> a different list. Yeah. <laughs> We're constantly changing our attitudes and our lives. Yeah. Everything is in the flux. That was one of the things that's wrong with polls. Is those big political poll? Well, that was yesterday. <laughs> now everything's changed. Now everything's changed. <laughs> oh, they said the world emails, and I'm going to change my vote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when we recognize that dealing in the past, dealing in the future, and dealing with who am I now. Knowing and seeing this way, would you see our teacher is respected? We speak like this out of respect for him. And we say no. In other words, it's got nothing to do with that we respect the teacher or he's honored or that we pay great respect or I'm so glad that you talked to me, uh, And (laughs) No, it's got nothing to do with respect. It's knowing and seeing. Uh. Knowing and seeing in this way, 
our aesthetic says this is only because of him that we see it. No, it's not because we see it. Knowing and seeing this way, would you acknowledge another teacher? No. In fact, this is kind of important, is to recognize the profoundness of the teachings of the Buddha. Is, is that no other teacher, if he's not teaching Dhamma, he's not teaching the right things, the one that leads to the release, to the end of suffering. That this, this whole teaching here of Paticca Samuppada and the, uh, the point about conditions, because almost all of the systems that you have will have some sort of magic, and you can actually define magic as something happens without a condition. Mm. <laughs> that a fire happens without a fuel, it happens without a spark, it happens without, you know, it's magical fire. And that the magical fire that's reborn as a human being is still magic if it has no cause. Um, and so knowing and seeing this way, would you believe that the observances and, uh, and noisy, superstitious rites of various aesthetics and Brahmins are the most important things? And wow, you can take that to the present day. In the <laughs> Politics, wow, it's noisy. <laughs> and superstitious rights like marriage, superstitious rights like funerals, superstitious rights like um, washing your hands after you go to the toilet. <laughs> I think maybe that one we should keep. <laughs> no, that's not a rule, though. It's a merely a good idea. Okay. It's yeah. wisdom. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not, that not that a rule. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, there are many, many kinds of rules. Some of them are societal. Others of them are downright religious, like baptism. Uh. That's a superstitious right. Everybody says that they take Jesus as their savior and, the, and they're saved and they, within a week, they say, wait a minute. <laughs> Not saved, still suffering. Still suffering. So these superstitious rights don't bring us out of suffering. None of them do. So it, and we, now that we know this and we see this, We don't believe it anymore. We don't go for that anymore. Are you not speaking only of what you have known and seen and realized for yourselves? Ah, this is the key ingredient. If you can't see it and know it and realize it and repeat it, then it's magic. Because if it's got fuel, that fuel can be controlled. That's interesting. No other religion will talk about it in this way. <laughs> it, kind, it kind of takes away the power. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. In other words, don't even believe me. You have to see this for yourself. And that's, what the, that's the way that the Buddha is teaching. Yes, sir. Good bhikkhus. 
you have been guided by me with this teaching that is visible in this very life, immediately effective, inviting inspection, relevant, <laughs> and so that sensible people can know it for themselves. It's interesting he chooses the word sensible here. I can't argue with it. Yeah, it to Let's do that again. You have been guided by me with this teaching that is visible in this very life. You can see it. It's immediately effective. Don't you find Anapanasati immediately effective? <laughs> to gladden the mind? To wake up? It invites inspection. That's, in fact, what uh, one's right view is all about, is to inspect, to look, to inspect, to make sure that this is relevant so that anyone who goes through this can know it for themselves. Ah, Tam, don't get my ma. And the dogs are doing their territorial instinct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He then says, this is what I was referring to. Mendicants, when three things come together. Okay, so at this point in time, <laughs> at this point, we're going to make a major change. Yeah. We're going from SC 25.3 down to number 26.1. This is a separate sutta. Ah. It's kind of an outlook of the gradual training, I think, right? Yes, this is now the look at the gradual training. And this is actually coming from another sutta. And that it's common, this whole <clears throat> thing. But you will find many places in it where things are very familiar. Okay. When these three, and so this, basically what he's talking about, that uh, he's starting this story from birth, from the birth of a baby onwards. But a lot of people get wrapped up in this part of the story. <laughs> he says, mendicants, when three things come together, an embryo is conceived. Okay, well, it's so weird but because right, it's a Gandaba. There, the word Gandaba, you've got it already. He's using he's a heavenly musician, or I forget if it was a, like a Deva musician or something like that. Uh huh. Exactly. Oh, interesting. When these three things come together, an embryo is com conceived. In in a case where the mother and father come together, but the mother is not in fertile part of her cycle and the spirit being reborn is not present. Spirit being reborn is, in fact, this Gaba. You see, that's Gaba Sanvakanti. Uh. This word, mm -hmm. remember up at the beginning that we were talking about the nose and odors? That's gone, the root of this. Mm. So... Um, oh, okay, and it says an asava, the effluence, it's also here in the word asava. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's gaba asava, you're right. Now you're beginning to do the Pali, you can see these words in there, okay? Now here's the, here's the idea, <laughs> is, is that 
um, when a girl is able to get pregnant, that um, the, the timing has to be right, and that that timing has to be right also has to do with the, uh, the ambiance, the melu, the kind of music that's played, the kind of perfume that's being used. In other words, if she's not in the mood, <laughs> okay, so basically this gondola, right. which has about the odor, means that she's got to be in the mood. It doesn't mean that there's some spirit to be reborn, and in fact, if it's a spirit, she's got to be in the spirit for it. He's got to be in the spirit for it. Mm. They've got to be in the mood or the ambiance or the uh, um, uh, the fragrance. This is the way that this should be seen. It does not necessarily need to be seen as a spirit being reborn because when we think of it from that perspective and read it that way, it's getting quite magical now, isn't it? <laughs> Any the particular kind of spirit, it has to be a musician. <laughs> Precisely. In fact, that's what the Gondaba is also. It's a musician. It's the music. It's the ambiance. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, it's, uh, don't they play music <laughs> at, the, at these rituals, these ceremonies? <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but there's other points about it, too. And that is, is that if a, uh, a couple go to the doctor... One of the first things he'll recommend is for them to go on a vacation, to get away from their daily lives so that they can get in the mood for it. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here, is the mood's got to be right. We're not talking about a gandabo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this whole idea of the gandabo is a... Uh, uh, is is somehow a pre, uh, let us say, a, a spook, not a spirit. Spirit, <laughs> I can use the word spirit to be reborn, but it's certainly not a spook to be reborn. <laughs> it's not some apparition or ghost or um, uh, <laughs> Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred that died last week and been hovering around looking for a gun. That's <laughs> in service, if you know what I mean. <laughs> because that's how the whole, I mean, people think about it like that. That Uncle Fred's been floating around all, all week looking for a couple of people who are actually out doing it so he can get a chance to <laughs> slip right in there. <laughs> <laughs> to get reborn. And that's not in the poly. That's not there. This is all about ambience. I've seen that kind of thing as an argument for um for the reincarnation stuff. Absolutely. You know, this is one of their primary the pieces of evidence. Is this yeah. due to right here? And you look in the poly, not there. <laughs> yeah. It's all metaphorical. It's all metaphor, exactly. And that's the funny part, is how can they use this sutta as exhibit A for the proof of the Gandapo and therefore rebirth exists, 
when this whole front part of the sutra we've been talking about <laughs> is about fire, is yeah. needing a fuel, that there is cause and effect in this, and Uncle Fred is not going to just float around for a week looking for a cut. It's not <laughs> going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> But look how deeply embedded that is into our culture. Yeah, because we like to identify, yeah, so these personality traits that I developed around my body, they're, they're not in my body, they're in some more subtle thing. It's right. <laughs> Who am I then? I am consciousness. Uncle Fred are, uh, is dead for a week looking for a cunt. What's looking? Eyes? <laughs> Where are the eyes? He's an apparition already. <laughs> just um it's uh you know it gives it gives like people something to hold on to when they think that i'm the consciousness um and i mean I that's why i used to do it mm -hmm. you know because it just felt like well it just felt like you're kind of you've got kind of a lifeline i suppose like you're not completely floating away you're still tethered and that gives a sense of like security. Uh huh. They have a word for that. I forgot. It's kind of like a golden thread or something for out of the body experience uh, people that they've got oh, to yeah, find a way that. of getting it back. There's uh -huh. a golden thread that uh, uh, yeah, it goes to your body, to your plexus or something. Or... Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. Well, let's continue on for this because we're just getting started and we can move fairly quickly through some of it. In fact, we can skip over some. In case where the mother and the father come together, the mother is fertile, and uh, but the spirit being reborn is not present. The embryo does not exist. Well, the spirit being reborn again is, we're talking about the mood that they're in. That's the spirit that's being reborn. Is the spirit of, hey, babe, let's do it. <laughs> Which is a different than the spirit of, well, not tonight. <laughs> I've got a headache. <laughs> but when these three things come together, the mother, the father come together, the mother is in her fertile part, and the spirit to be reborn is present, the embryo is conceived. The mother nurtures the embryo in her womb for nine months or ten months and at great risk to her heavy burden. This is, in fact, a place where you could say that the Buddha is paying homage to his own mother, mm -hmm. that she gave her life for him. Mm -hmm. It is at great risk for the mother. Nowadays with modern medicine, not so much, but in the time of the Buddha, mothers carrying babies for nine months was dangerous. Oh, okay. Uh... When nine or ten months have passed, the mother gives birth at great risk to her uh, and to her, and it's a heavy burden. Uh, funny about the giving uh. of the birth. I don't see Jati anywhere in there. I see Navam. Which uh, we have navel or uh, nativity, all of that. That's the word for. No, that's not it. Uh, Vijayati. 
brings her Vijayati. Okay. Notice that it's not Jati. It's Jayati. It's Jayati. Vijayati. So here's a place where the word real birth is used, not Jati, but Vijayati. And the word V is like into, so it's being produced or coming, I guess, coming coming out. And so Jayati or Jaya mm -hmm. is not the same as Jati exactly, but it's pretty mm -hmm. close. Okay. When, uh, here we go, Jatam, here we go, the infant. When the infant is born, uh, she nourishes it with her blood. Now, they know the difference between blood and milk, but here the Buddha is talking about it in the sense of his mother gave her blood to nourish him. For her mother's milk is regarded as blood in the training of the nobles. That in, that's part of the reason why the Buddha has the emphasis upon why mom is so important. She doesn't just nurture her with her milk. She nurtures us with her blood. That boy grows up and his faculties mature. Now we actually begin this sutta, the, the first uh, little part of it there, about the beta, Buddha being born, or the, uh, the baby being born, I think is just a side note to get people confused about <laughs> reincarnation, I guess. <laughs> according, he according to games such as plow toys, uh, tip cat, uh, somersaults, pinwheels, toy measures, toy carts, and, and uh, toy bows, <laughs> that that boy grows up and his faculties mature further. He accordingly assumes himself, supplies, and provides with the five kinds of sensual stimulation, the five pleasures. <coughs> now, this is in fact what we do when we're really, really little. This is what you little play. kids do. We play, right. Sights known by the ear that are likable, desirable, agreeable, pleasant, and sensual, and arousing, and the sounds by the ears and the nose and the tongue. So he's going now through the senses that are for the little child, and the little child takes great delight in the senses of being alive. When they see a sight with their eyes, it is, if it is pleasant, they desire it. But if it is unpleasant, they dislike it. They live with mindfulness of the body, unestablished. And their heart is restricted. And they don't fully, truly understand the freedom of heart and the freedom of wisdom where those arisen, bad, unskillful qualities cease without anything left over. In other words, when, we, when we're kids and we, uh, when we're growing up, seeking delight. And mm. because of that, there is no freedom. We have to go do it. We are not uh, mindful of the body. Uh, and uh, because of that, we think that our heart is free to <laughs> go do, but in fact it's restricted because we have to go do that. Mm. Um, it's almost like freedom in the sense you've heard that there is freedom for and freedom <laughs> from. 
like the like the boy who wants to go out tonight wants to borrow the car or whatever like that he wants to have the freedom to go but his elder uncle sitting over in the corner is free from wanting to go out mm -hmm. So this is how the heart is restricted is because we're compelled to go do stuff. And when they don't truly understand the freedom of heart and the freedom by wisdom where these things uh, are at unskillful quality cease without remainder, without anything left over. So that means that we can give up our desire for the freedom to do. That in fact, that's what wrong view is all about. We want to do. And we have no wisdom, and so we cannot see the danger. But if we see the danger, we can still say, ah, but I can avoid that danger. I can get away with it. And therefore, I have to go do it. Why? Because I want it. Because it's, I've seen it, and I liked it, and i got to go get it. Uh, being so full of favoring and uh, opposing... When they experience any kind of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, they approve, welcome, and keep clinging to it. Well, let's look at this word neutral for a moment. It's the first word in the second line of the Pali, which it says, A dukam, A sukam. Mm -hmm. All right. What does that mean? That it means that it is not dukam, and it is not sukam, but it is still a feeling. Mm -hmm. If it was completely neutral, it wouldn't be any feeling at all. So this is, a, this is actually a major wrong translation, to use the word mm -hmm. neutral for this word. It's not dukkha, but it's not sukha. What is mm -hmm. it? It's yeah, it's doubt. <laughs> yeah, it leads to confusion, it leads to uh, desire, it leads to doubt, it leads to actually mm. becoming afraid. I don't, huh. I don't know whether it is. In other words, if I don't know that guy walking behind me is, a, um, is, is going to be good and just pass by, or whether he's a criminal, I will assume he's a criminal. Mm. <laughs> just to be so, safe. a sukadama, yeah. uh, a suka, uh, a, a dukkha. A dukam, a sukam tends hmm. to fall into dukam. It does not fall into sukam. Yeah. I was actually thinking, I think there's a sura, I don't know. I think the Buddha says when the neutral feeling is properly discerned, it's pleasant or something like that. I forgot from where it was. Well, when it's properly discerned, we mm -hmm. see it as investigation. <laughs> when it's properly uh, discerned as I'm not sure about what this is, let's go play with it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah. In other words, we choose intentionally sukum rather mm -hmm. than intentionally or in unintentionally choose dukum for it. Let's go mm -hmm. play with it. Let's investigate it. Let's... Uh, um, Instead of confusion, we can, um, oh, I'm looking for the word. Uh, we take delight in the investigation. So we, uh, we're curious. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Curiosity. 
So curiosity is the sukum side of it, and dukum is the fear, the doubt, all of that kind of stuff, when we can see it. When we don't see it, it will fall into fear. So he says, though, that ordinarily we delight in these feelings. How can we delight in an unpleasant feeling? Well, if we don't like it, we want to go do something about it. And isn't there a lot of kind of a, a sinister delight in being angry, full of rage? I yeah, mean, there's a payoff to it. Why would people be outraged at, at Donald Trump unless they somehow enjoy and take some pleasure at being outraged at him? Well, it's just the um, like the energy that it provides, like the stimulation it gives. That's like, that's like more addictive than whether it's good or bad. But because it's addictive is because we take some sort of delight in it. Mm. We welcome it. We approve of our anger. We welcome it and say, yeah, I got every right to be angry at Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I've got every right to be angry at the libs who are uh, happy at being angry at Donald Trump, whichever side you're taking, it doesn't matter, okay? And so we cling to those negative feelings. We cling also to the positive feelings. But we also cling to these uh, aduka feelings also. We cling to them. In other words, people like being confused, some people. Uh They like not knowing. That in fact, I would say the ones who are really, really um, most likely to be in the state of liking not knowing is because they're afraid if they do know, they won't like it. <laughs> so they yeah. prefer, all right? And politicians are that way often. Oh, I haven't read <laughs> what <laughs> Donald Trump said, so I can't comment on it, you know? They don't want to know. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. That's exactly the way that, uh, that uh, that's it. That's the whole crust of that whole point right there that the Buddha's making. That ignorance is bliss, and we approve of it, we welcome it, and we cling to that ignorance. And this gives rise to relishing. Relishing feelings is grasping. Their grasping is conditioned uh, for continued existence. In other words, if we're holding on to it, we tend to continue holding on to it. Mm. So this is where now this idea from uh, the young baby being born, grows up, attached to his feelings, and he's uh, relishing feelings, is grasping. This grasping is conditioning, um, uh, and it leads to the, where he's saying continued existence is a condition for rebirth. Right. What we're really saying is, is that when you cling to things, that gives rise to selfishness. Ta-da! That's the entire teaching of the of the uh, of the Patita Samuppada in that one statement. That when we cling mm-hmm. to feelings, yeah. then there is a clinger that clings to feelings. That's the self. Self arises at that time, 
And the arising is what he's calling continued existence and the rebirth then. Guess what? The rebirth then is as a actual mental rebirth into a lower state, a hell state, a realm of uh, uh, woefulness, where we find the Pita, the Asura, uh, uh, the hell states. Um, these are uh, places that are woeful. And they, we do it because we relish feelings. And the relishing of the feelings is grasping. This is how this entire mass of suffering originates. This is it. He just said it now. The entire teaching of Patichu Samapada is now with all of that explanation and forward and backward and forward and backward and, and detailed every one of them. Now he's done it in just two statements. Relishing the feelings is grasping. This grasping is then uh, taking on a self. Mm -hmm. That taking on a self is now painful. Being selfish is painful. It is the condition for things rotting. We lose it. Death, sorrow, we've lost it. I'm lamenting. I've got pain and sadness and distress because I lost something that I was relishing. This is how the entire mass of suffering originates. When we hear a sound with the ears, when, we, when they smell an odor with the nose, when they taste a flavor with the tongue, when they feel a touch of the body, when they know a thought with the mind, if it is pleasant, they desire it. I like it. But if it is unpleasant, they dislike it. I want it out of here. They live with mindfulness of the body unestablished and their heart is restricted. <laughs> they do, and they don't truly understand the freedom of heart and the freedom by wisdom where those arisen bad unskillful qualities cease without anything left over. In other words, they constantly keep going back. But so, being so full of favoring and, and, and opposing, when they experience any kind of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or uh, something that's not either pleasant or unpleasant, they approve, welcome, and keep clinging to it. This gives rise to relishing. Relishing feelings is grasping. Their grasping is conditioned, etc. Uh, so he's doing it again. So okay. now he's repeating this over and over again. This is the entire mass of suffering. Ah, now we can finally take a break and move on. Thank you, Buddha. You really got us. You posted us <laughs> right in there. We get you already. <laughs> yes, we do understand Dukkha Handakasa. All right. But consider... When a realized one arises in the world, perfectly, fully awakened Buddha, accomplished in knowing and conduct, holy, knower of the worlds, supreme guide for those who wish to attain, teacher of the gods and humans, awakened, blessed. Wow, have you heard that before? <laughs> that is so common. That in fact, Ida Bikove Tatako Loke Upajati 
Araham Sama Sambuto Bicha Charana Sampano Sukato Logavidu Anutara Puriya Sadama Sarati Sata Deva Manu Sanambuto Bhagawa. But here it doesn't end in T. <laughs> because he's saying it <laughs> okay well that looks pretty familiar now that that um teacher of gods and humans there is something in there that's really good and that is look at the uh perisudaman sarathi look at that word sarathi uh charioteer Okay, a charioteer, right. okay. a coachman, a driver, even. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. so when it says a teacher of gods and humans, it says no, he's actually a driver, mm. a driver of this whole Dhamma. And the Purusa Dhamma is the one who is to be trained, and he mm. drives them, he pushes them. You cannot get. That charioteer or that driver mentality out of a book. Mm-hmm. This is where the teacher comes in, is to push the students, to keep doing it over and over and over again and emphasizing it this, that, and the other way. Okay, the next word to look at is this Deva Manusanam. Okay, here, it uh, number one is it's a deity. I have mm-hmm. never seen the word Deva used as a deity in any of the Pali. It's always something else. In this way, um, number four, a king or someone that's a high-class person. Okay? And we also are using the word Manu. The word Manu human. Uh, is is the word for man it's the human it's the high quality the upper class mm-hmm. so the buddha is a teacher of the students to be trained um in this science or in this art uh for the high class people and those who can get it mm-hmm. not just a teacher of gods and humans no there's a whole lot more packed into that than this mm-hmm. Okay, now the Budo here is the one who can see, just one who is awakened. When we put the word enlightenment in it, we make it magic. <laughs> enlightenment is a magical term generally for used. And the next one is Bhagava. And you and I, uh, uh, Chitan, have talked about this word before. Uh-huh. Right, and that basically the only, the original usage of the word was fortunate. Yep. He's Bhagawa. He's the fortunate. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he's awake. He can see. And because of that, he can drive others who are capable of it. He has realized with his own insight this world with his gods, Mara's Brahmins, his population with <laughs> his aesthetics, Brahmins, gods, and humans, and he makes it known to others. Well, you can see that there's no reason to take this so magically. <laughs> that, that, in fact, when the translations into English are magical, then the people who read it, only the English, 
will think that it was actually magical. Mm -hmm. Where in fact it's not. That there's no reason to uh, do Sadevakam as a god. There's no reason to put that in the dictionary. You could say that would be high class. Even in English, we have the word Deva, like in uh, Hollywood respect. <laughs> okay, so we could say here that what we're talking about is the celebrities. So is that, um, does he, you know, um, specifically mention them because they are kind of, they're more likely to get it because they're not so, um, because they have it easier in life, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're not so grubbing at such a basic level. Yeah. But that's right. In fact, Buddhism always, um, how to say it? And maybe because they've had it's, more education. It's, it's educational, it's intellectual, but it is hard to uh, fathom. It is, um, like Paticca Samapada, the Buddha says, is um, profound. Mm-hmm and deep and hard to understand. So those who are best educated, the high class, are the ones who are most likely to understand the actual teachings of the Buddha. And boy, is that true in spades here in Thailand. <laughs> wow, is it. The very people who are the most magical are the village people. Yeah. That most of the actual intellectual class of Thai people they understand the teachings of the Buddha as something real. Mm. You go to the average guy, let us say the average well-dressed person on the streets of Bangkok, and you ask him about gods, and he'll say, no, never mind. <laughs> okay? They do, but they still may go home to a house Who's, who mm. own that property will have a spirit house from the old animism of Thailand. Mm. Uh -huh. Okay, that and the idea is is that when you take the land, you take the land, uh, the spirit, you take the land spirit away from the original nature, and so what you have to do is to compensate mm. that at miniature by building a small house for the spirits mm. who used to own the land. That's exactly the same as the Native uh, Americans blessing an animal that they're about to kill. In the sense of, I'm sorry to have to take your life. I really understand that uh, I'm depriving you of something for my own substance, and I wish you a fond journey and mm -hmm. friendship. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is that whole idea that a realized one has come. He has realized this with his insight in the world, with his God, the Maras, the Brahmins, his population, with his aesthetics and Brahmins, gods and humans, and he makes it known to others. That's the trick that he really does see, and he's making it known to others. He proclaims a teaching that is, here we go. Good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end with right meaning and phrasing. And wow, have we talked about that before in the sense that most people who practice meditation, it's not good in the beginning. Well, if it's not good in the beginning, then it is in fact 
not the right practice. <laughs> okay, so Adikalyan, Majikalyan, and Perikalyan, this is the words of good in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and good in the end. So this is, uh, uh, and it's got to be said correctly. He reveals an, uh, it in, entirely and full of, uh, of life. A householder hears this teaching, or the householder child, or someone reborn in some good family. I don't, I mean, they're actually working hard to shove reborn <laughs> here, because what they're, um, actually, nice. the poly word is one or two or several of a certain group. Like someone in a good family, it's... Is yeah, it's just... just a member of some good family. He does wow. not have to have introduce rebirth yeah, as a concept here. No need. Huh. Yeah. So they gain faith in the realized one. Well, here, let's look at this. Um, ah... Here the word is Saddam, which is actually the way that I learned it in India is Shraddha. Okay, Shraddha or Saddam here is, is translated again as faithful or they take faith in and when faith gets really strong, it's devotional and believing. But really the Pali word is not that. It is that they take confidence in. In other words, they, it's not that they, you see, if some preacher man comes by and you don't know anything about him and he tells you all about his religion, then you take that religion on faith because you've got nothing. But when a realized one comes by, when a Buddha shows up, he brings with him something obvious. <laughs> and you see that he's got something. So it's not taking faith in the Buddha. What it is is that it's taking confidence in it. Yeah, he's got something. He can show it, and it's worth having. And so I Ed, we don't gain faith in it then. It's what we do is, is that we take confidence in him. Mm -hmm. And then we reflect, Living in a house is cramped and dirty, but the life of one gone forth is wide open. It is not easy for someone living in a house to, to lead a spiritual life utterly full and pure like a polished shell. Why don't we cut off our hair and beard and dress in ochre robes and go forth from the lay life into the homeless life? Okay, well, that, what this means is by now, boy, do they really do have some confidence. <laughs> Doing this kind of stuff is not faith. <laughs> this is when you know that you've been around monks. You've been, and you can see that their lifestyle is marvelous, and that it's <laughs> worth having, and that the life of the layperson actually is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. After some time. 
They give up a large or small fortune and a large or small family circle. They shave their head and beards. They dress in New Yorker robes and they go forth from lay life to the homelessness. Okay. Now, it's obviously true that not everybody is going to do that this week. (laughs) (laughs) But from time to time, people do. It depends upon how much confidence they have that they will be success. So part of the job that a good mm-hmm. Dhamma teacher has is to instill that confidence that you can completely succeed by changing your whole way of life. Once they have gone forth, they take up the training and livelihood of the bhikkhus. They give up killing, uh, renouncing the rod and sword, and they're scrupulous and kind living full of compassion for all beings. I want you to look for the word panatipatam uh, is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, mm-hmm. eight. It's the second last from the third word, panatipatam. And there it is again, panatipata, patatirapohoti. Okay, so what we're talking about here is we're talking about the first precept. Okay. This is now uh-huh. in this section, section number 31, 33.1 is in fact the first precept. The second one, number 33.2, giving up uh, stealing, atenadana, giving up okay. unchastity. Here they're using the word abramacharyam. Okay, you can see that first word, abramacharyam bhaya. Brahmachi Hoti. Now, um, in a way, this is really kind of backwards because a Brahmacharyam uh, means to abstain or, or not living according to the Brahma. But in fact, we practice it so that we do have Brahmacharya. Now, what we're meaning here is, is that um, uh, the the the, the charya, we can see that that's roaming or walking around. Or char, you know, we chart our course. That's where that word chart comes from. Is is that we're going around, but we're going around or living not according to some Brahma or creation. We're living according to the way that the Brahmins think that they should act. In other words, we're talking mm-hmm. about high quality or high class. Mm-hmm. This is what we mean by this. Uh, um, And so uh, we practice brahmachari, which means that we give up abramacharya. And so that's the third. The fourth is we give up musawada. But here he's going to really go into it in detail. All four, I think, you're going to have. The first one is, is a direct lie. Well, mm-hmm. we become honest, even if sometimes our honesty <laughs> is not well received. <laughs> Still, we want to be honest about it. We, want, we don't want to go into magic because there's no fuel there. And we know this. So we give up lying. We give up. Uh, in fact, we give up stories about children and telling them, if you don't do what I tell you to, mm-hmm. the boogeyman's going to get you. <laughs> no, we can tell the child, oh, don't do that. 
because I don't like it and you are friends with me. And <laughs> if you want to be friends with me, then you will um, <laughs> behave yourself, kid. <laughs> 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 All right. So we don't lie. We say the truth. We give up divisive speech. Now here they're talking about divisive speech in the sense of I've heard it in one place and I go someplace <laughs> and repeat it. You know what Timmy said, said about you? <laughs> I said, do you know what Timmy said about you? I just use a random name. <laughs> oh, okay. so said what, what? oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Did Gossip you hear game. what Henry said about Johnny? <laughs> Boy, that Johnny is a really terrible person. Don't go and have anything to do with Johnny, because Timmy told me all about it. Okay, that's divisive speech. That we can call it malicious gossip. But instead, we reconcile those who are divided. Then we become peacemakers. We support unity. We delight in harmony. Living in harmony. Basically, this is what Sangha is all about. Speaking the words that promote harmony. They give up harsh speech. We speak in a mellow way, pleasing to the ear, lovely, going to the heart, polite, likable, agreeable. That's why I tell jokes. <laughs> they give up talking nonsense. Their words are timely, true, meaningful, in line with the teachings and training. They say things that are right on time, which are valuable, reasonable, succinct, beneficial. So that would be like um, you find two friends arguing with each other. How are you going to handle that? This is talking about in the sense that you don't join that argument. You don't take sides. You don't agree with one over the other, and sometimes it would be a good idea that if you did speak the truth, that you might, in fact, have to take one of the sides. Mm. But we do it as agreeable as we can. So we talk about things that are right in time, which are valuable, reasonable, and succinct. Boy, that one's something to learn. <laughs> <laughs> They avoid injuring plants and seeds, so now they're going a little bit more detailed in it, but these are actually part of the, uh, of the paddy mark. We avoid injuring plants and seeds. They eat in one part of the day, abstaining from eating at night and, and food at the wrong time. They avoid dancing, singing, music, and uh, seeing shows. Basically, this is looking at the higher precepts. They uh, avoid beautifying, adorning themselves with garlands, perfumes, and makeup. Uh, wow, they put all of that in one word. And he goes on. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I know all of those, but I don't know why they would have to put it in. Okay, so the dictionary shows it right. Mala, Gandana, mm -hmm. Vapana, uh, Dharana, uh, all of that is, uh, and basically, monks don't wear malas. Some do, mm -hmm. but 
generally they're not used for um, makeup or beautifying. They're used for meditation or something. Mm -hmm. uh, they avoid high, luxurious beds. This is a upacharana, mahacharana. Uh, they avoid receiving gold and money. Well, I'm not sure about money. Look at that, and you'll see jata, rupa, rajata, patikahana. All right, what that mm. means is raja is silver. Uh, no, jata rupa is silver. You can hear the word rupee in it. And then rajata is actually gold. Oh, they seem inverted here. He's got them backwards here. Maybe I've got it backwards in my mind. Yeah. No, he's got it backwards because the raja is for the gold and the ta is for tong. Hmm. Raja tong is, in fact, the king's gold. Tong is the Pali word for it. Rupa is silver. Patikahana uh, means um, taking or receiving. Now, basically what this means is, is that there are some sects who abstain from all money. Mm -hmm. But in the time of the Buddha, small amounts of money were being oh, able okay. to be received. But in fact, not only were small mm -hmm. amounts of money generally received, but the monk, in order to keep it safe, would give it to a, a steward or a layperson. Mm -hmm. And that um, uh, Achantanisaro actually says that because of the uh, the stewardship for money, that monks are perfectly capable of owning a bank account mm -hmm. without breaking any rules at all. That is okay for the monks to have a bank account. And not only that, but in Thailand, the, the law, uh, this being actually a Buddhist country, they promote Buddhism. The king goes to the monks and the monks go to the king and the whole nine yards of it. 95% <laughs> Buddhism. I drop it and leave it there. The law is, is that monks can board any public transportation for half price. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. free. But in fact, uh, the child and the monk's ticket are the same. Ah, oh, okay. And that um, uh, sometimes the monks are allowed on public buses in Bangkok to ride for free. But basically, uh, if they're going to take the ferry, then they'll have to pay half fare. Mm -hmm. That's a nod in the right direction, but it also shows that there's limits to it. Mm -hmm. That a certain amount of money goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And so this this is wrong to translate and put the word money in there when it actually says that they would avoid receiving gold and silver. Now, there's one more thing about it. Gold and silver in the time of the Buddha, because they've done the archaeology on this now, and they've dug up quite a lot of stuff. Guess what? They have found wooden coins. They have okay. found tin coins. They have found copper coins. They mm -hmm. have found bronze coins. They have not found any silver coins. They have not found any gold coins. Gold and silver mm -hmm. is kept in bullion form or okay. in jewelry form, mm -hmm. not uh, money. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
And that's why it's called Jata Rupa. Uh, or, or actually, no, Rajata. The Rajata means the king's gold, mm-hmm. the treasure. And that monks don't get this. So it's like not excessive wealth. It's not excessive wealth. And you can also go to see the next one on there is raw grains. Well, guess what? That means <laughs> that the monks don't have to cook because they can't <laughs> accept raw grains. They don't accept raw meat. But they also don't accept human chattel. They don't accept women and girls, <laughs> male and female, <laughs> bond servants. And that was common oh. in the time of the Buddha. Mm. But the monks do not accept that kind of treasure. They're also goats and sheep, chickens, pigs, <laughs> elephants, cows, horses, mares, and lands and field. But small amounts of money is not in there. But a goat... Now, that's in possession. <laughs> I don't want no mugs owning any goats. But in fact, at Watso and Moak, there were um, pack dogs that people would bring dogs to the, uh, to the Watt, and you could hear them up in the night. Uh, and that the people fed the dogs. And, and because of that, there was a lot of chickens around. And then somebody uh, got in charge and made the rule, we, we don't want the dogs here, don't feed the dogs. Guess what? The chickens disappeared. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> but at one time, I found a puppy, and I wanted to keep that puppy. And Achan Po says, no, you've got better things with your time than keeping mm-hmm. a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> and so hmm. I disappointedly... I. Uh, let the puppy go. <laughs> but they also avoid running errands and messages. They're not messengers. I've seen that work really, really against my own desire. Hey, will you tell Achan Post blah, blah? <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Monks are not messengers. They don't have to do that kind of stuff. They don't run errands. <laughs> They also refrain from buying and selling. We don't go to the store much. But in fact, when I was in the United States, when the monks went to the store, they all went together as a group. Mm-hmm. And one, and then they, and generally would take a layman with them. So that the, the whole crowd that went around, each monk had a thing that he wanted. He would choose it out, pick it out, put it in the cart. But he didn't buy it or sell it. He didn't buy it. He might have given a little money to, the, uh, uh, to his steward or his agent, the layman who went along with him. And that was how it was paid for. He's not uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, shake down the guy just because he went into the store with the monk. <laughs> but the point is, is that monks don't buy and sell. Isn't that freedom? Wow, that is such a relief. I practice that now. I'm really glad. I mean, I'm really fortunate because I don't have to buy or sell anything. <laughs> I may provide the money for it, but they, as you saw, is delivered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but in doing that, we also, 
but not buying and selling. Look, now we don't have to work with falsifying weights, medals, or measures. There's no bribery, no fraud, no cheating, no duplicity, no uh, mutilation or murder or abduction or banditry or plunder or violence if we're not buying and selling. So we become content with the robes to look after the body and the arms food, to look after the belly, and wherever we go, we set out taking only the bowl and the robes. Actually, there's a few extra things like water filters and razors and things like that that are given at the ordination. Um, but the basic thing is, is that we're like a bird. <laughs> <laughs> only the wings are the only burden. Or in that case, it would be like the legs. For <laughs> in the same way, a mendicant is content with robes to look after the body and arms food to look after the belly. Wherever he goes, they set out taking only these things. When they have their entire spectrum of noble ethics, they experience a blamelessness, a happiness inside. I mean, if you are well-behaved and you know you're well-behaved and that you are praised by the wise, then you don't worry about what anybody else has to say, that you feel really blameless. And that's the happiness, the happiness of blamelessness. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> when they see a sight with the eyes, they don't get caught up with the features and the details. With the faculty of sight, we're left unrestrained. Bad and skillful qualities of desire and aversion would become overwhelming. For this reason, they practice restraint in protecting the faculties of sight and achieving its restraint. Basically, what that means is that when the monk is out walking around on Bendabat, they look about six to ten feet in front of them on the ground to make sure that this is where I'm walking is safe to walk on. But we don't lollygag or look around or, um, or whatever mm -hmm. like that to get caught up in the features of uh, mm -hmm. the beautiful chick that's right beside us. <laughs> oh, when they hear sounds with the ears. So now we're going to go through the, the, the restraint of the senses. Before we remember that we got delighted in those same senses when mm -hmm. we were young. But now that we've taken confidence in the Buddha enough to put on the robes, now we're going to start restraining these senses. So when we um, hear sounds with the ear, we don't get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. I've got to go do it. We can enjoy the sound of it in the moment without having to want it. When they smell odors, when they taste flavors, when they feel the touch of the body, when they know a thought with the mind, they don't get caught up in the features and the details. Okay, this is exactly, again, what we mean by psychological archaeology. This is what a lot of people think is insight meditation. <laughs> to really get caught up in those thoughts and the features and the details and why am I thinking about this and on and on and on. No, all we need to do is to know that that thought is unwholesome and out it goes. And all of this is right there in the details of the suttas if we carefully read this. If the faculties of the mind were left unrestrained, bad and skillful qualities of desire and aversion would come and overwhelm. For this reason, we practice restraint 
in protecting the faculties of the mind and achieving restraint. In other words, we're talking about walking around doing Anapanasati. Walking around restraining these senses, uh, especially the mind sense, and just be here now in a gazing kind of open to everything way. When we have Mm. this noble sense restraint, they experienced an unsullied bliss inside. Because if I get caught up on a, a thought or a feature, like if I if I start looking at the truck and thinking about the truck, I'll say, oh, the truck needs a wash job, and now I've got work to do. And <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. So this is what we mean, is that we don't get wrapped up in that stuff. And so we go around sense restraining. We don't get caught up in the features of it. We certainly are able to use the eyes. When they act within situational awareness, when going out and coming back, when looking ahead and aside, when bending, extending the limbs, when bearing the outer robe and bowl, when eating, drinking, chewing, tasting, when urinating and deprecating, when walking, standing, sitting, sleeping, walking, speaking, and keeping mm-hmm. silent. Wow, is that familiar. And in fact, it's, <laughs> it's Sutta number 10. It's in the Satipatthana Sutta, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> and these are, in fact, the instructions. Haven't you heard me talk about many of these things? Yes, mindfulness. When we're when we're um, when we're walking around, to watch what we're doing. When we're eating, when we're drinking, we 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 are watching that chewing. We're watching the tasting. We understand what urinating and defecating is, and we really, really are into defecating. I mean, wow, well, it's so nice <laughs> to take. Oh, what a relief it is. So this is what we mean by looking at what's going on. When they have this noble spectrum of ethics, this noble sense of restraint, and this noble mindfulness and situational awareness, in other words, watching what's going on, they frequent secluded lodges. Ah. Isn't that interesting? And it's interesting that he broke it like that, because this should be all together (laughs) in one place. Hmm. When we have the noble spectrum of ethics, this noble sense of restraint and this noble mindfulness and uh, situational awareness, we frequent secluded lodges. We go to places where we can be alone. We like, we delight in taking close. We go to the wilderness, a root of a tree, a hill, a ravine, a mountain cave, a charnel ground even, a forest, an open air, a heap of straw. Notice (laughs) in this list that there is no meditation center retreat meditation (laughs) hall there. (laughs) And funny thing about these meditation retreats, they're not particularly secluded. It's a hundred people all together coughing and sneezing and farting on each other, trying to <laughs> pretend they're secluded. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums up my retreat at the Zendo. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there are some advantages to meditation retreats, but meditation retreats are Gosh, they're less than 70 years old. They date back to about the 1950s. What happened for the first 2,500 years before that? The answer is, here it is. 
they they go for secluded lodges to the wilderness, to the root of a tree, a hill, a ravine, a mountain cave, a charnel ground, a forest, an open air, a heap of straw. And what's also common in Thailand is a sala. A sala mm-hmm. is a small place. It's got no walls. It's got a roof. And it might have a floor that's built up, or it might just be the dirt. But it's a place that's protected. Something like, if you were going to easily build the equivalent of a tree for shade, how would you do it? The answer is a sala. Mm-hmm. And after the meal, they return from the alms round. They sit down cross-legged with their body straight and establish mindfulness right there. Okay, what that means is, why do they sit down cross-legged? Why is that actually mentioned? Well, it's because that's a comfortable place to way to sit when you don't have furniture. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Westerners have been sitting in chairs for their whole lives, and they are not comfortable sitting <laughs> down on the ground cross-legged. That's for the people who are used to sitting down cross-legged. <laughs> so it's not a requirement. It's just get easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, get easy, but sit up straight. And that's the important part, is to keep the body erect. Because mm-hmm. why? Because that's a better way of breathing. If we're all slumped over, we don't breathe very well. But if we're mm-hmm. sitting up erect, in fact, if we start breathing correctly, we actually start sitting up straight. And we establish mindfulness, except that it's not mindfulness. Guess what? The Pali word is satam here because of the case sati Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. and notice that the first word that they use as a definition for this is memory to remember that's what the word sati so we Mm -hmm. establish remembering right here right now Giving up desires for the world, now we're going into the hindrances, guess what? (laughs) We sit down and bring mindfulness and giving up desire for the world. We meditate with a heart rid of desire, ceasing uh, the mind of desire. Giving up ill will and malevolence, we meditate with a mind rid of ill will, full of compassion for all living beings, cleansing the world, the mind of ill will. That in fact, you see that he's mixing metta into the practice here. Mm -hmm. Giving up dullness and drowsiness. This is the Tenna and uh, Nidia. You can find that someplace in the Pali. Ah, there it is in the third word. Tenna Nidia. Okay. Virati. There we go again. He dwells or he he Mm -hmm. takes on. Okay. He, but here they use the, the term meditate. meditate. Hmm. Right, that's the verb that they're using. They meditate with a mind rid of dullness and perceiving light. Okay, maybe the word light, and I know that they're using loka here for right, but when we say perceiving light, what we mean is, is that we brighten the mind. It's a brightened mind. We're not just trying to have a field of vision of all white. <laughs> which is something that, that a lot of people think. Okay. But whether we're brightening the mind, we're, we're, uh, we're mindful, aware, and cleaning the mind of dullness, that we're bright up. 
giving up restlessness and rewards. Okay, here comes the past and the future coming in. Giving up doubt. We know all about skeptical doubt. Okay, and they give up these five hindrances. Now, after he lists them, he says, and by the way, what we just talked about are the hindrances. <laughs> then he says, quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unskillful kill, they enter and remain in the first jhana. Bango. All we need do is by brightening the mind, by getting rid of the dullness, by developing uh, a mind of, uh, full of compassion or uh, mudita and joy, we naturally fall right into the first mm -hmm. jhana. It's a natural way to go. Um, and that he talks about it in, in detail here. They secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unskillful qualities, the hindrances, they enter and remain in the first absorption, jhana, which, and I don't even think that absorption is the right word for it because we're not absorbed. The mind <laughs> is bright, it's shining. We're, if we were absorbed, we would be absorbed in hindrances. So this, I don't know where this word absorption came from, <laughs> but it's not what we're doing. Okay, and it has this piti sukha. That, uh, let's see where we can find the words there. Ah, the last word on the line, piti sukha. Okay, this is actually one word. It's one word intentionally because it's kind of one feeling. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like I said, it's got bounds to it. Pity is much more energetic. It's like, ah, I got it. And <laughs> now the sukham is, ah, I've got it. <laughs> 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 All right. And what we're talking, I've got it is means that I've got it. The, um, the, the Dhamma. Okay. Um, so furthermore, as the placing of the mind is keeping and connected and still, and enters and remains into the second. So now they're saying that these jhanas are natural occurrences, and yet when meditators do it, they work really hard. They think that it's an attainment, that they're actually using words like absorption and trying to get absorbed. <laughs> rather than trying to get a mind that's really, really bright so that through Paticca Samuppada we can actually see how the mind works, which is exactly what they're talking about when they're actually in full description of the fourth jhana, is that we can see perception, and we can see consciousness, and we can see how the, uh, the space is between it, and we can see what's going on in the mind. That just mm -hmm. means the mind is really sharp and really focused and really knowing what's going on. Okay, so, and um, when they see a sight with the eyes, it is pleasant, they don't desire it. This is exactly the place where um, Achan Sumedho was when Achan uh, Cha was asking him at the Katena uh, festival, about all the young chits who were there all well-dressed up and everything. All the young ladies of Thailand have come to the Wat, and here the monks are sitting, and the old monk says to the young monk, what do you think? <laughs> and he says, I like it, but I don't want it. 
Ah, I like it, but I don't want it. If it is pleasant, they don't desire it. And if it's unpleasant, they don't dislike it. If it's unpleasant, a feeling of unpleasant, we just recognize uh, it's unpleasant or the feeling of not liking it is there. But we don't have to turn that into wanting it or in the sense of disliking it. Which means disliking it means that we want to get rid of it. And so they live with mindfulness of the body established. But the heart is limitless. It's not bound up with all of those hindrances now. And they do truly understand the freedom of heart and, and freedom by wisdom where those arisen uh, bad, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. Well, now that what that means is Perhaps momentarily they cease without remainder. Finally, the mind is clear, but it may come up at a later time. But over over practice time, eventually it will not come back up. Just like if you keep cutting the thought off every time, let us say that you and Uncle Billy had an argument. And every time that thought comes up, you whack that off. Pretty soon you don't even think about Uncle Billy anymore. It's gone. Nothing left of it. Having given up favoring and opposing. This is really interesting because uh, it fits in with the, the famous passage of uh, Chan Tzu, who says it like this. When the shoe is right, <laughs> the foot is forgotten. You know this one, Gatlin. <laughs> and when the heart is right, for and against are forgotten. Uh. Okay, so we we're we no longer favor one political party and oppose the other. We give up that. We recognize that both of them are jokes, <laughs> <laughs> and so we stop fa- favoring one and opposing other. When they experience any kind of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or uh, here is the word again, adamamamsukam. <laughs> Uh, they don't approve or welcome or keep clinging to it. Now, this is an important point because most of us think that if we don't like something and we want to get rid of it, that we're not cherishing the thought or the feeling of wanting to get rid of it. But yet, in fact, we do. We (laughs) cherish that thought. I want to get rid of it. Defund (laughs) the police. Defund the police. That's exactly it. We take joy and delight in hating things. Uh, in fact, there's a phrase about that, the things we love to hate. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, just, that's an example of it right nice. there. Right. We love to hate things. We cling to unpleasant thoughts, the unwholesome. As a result, relinquishing of feelings ceases. In other words, we don't have to work so much of it anymore. And before we had to relinquish them. But now, by not taking any uh, advantage with them or seeing any advantage of having feelings, they're just feelings. When the relishing ceases, grasping ceases. Okay, so he's talking about here the use of the word 
relishing is in fact uh, Nandi. Nandi Naroda. Okay. So when we're taking relishing, we're taking delight. When we're taking delight in these negative feelings, then clinging happens. But when we give up that Nandi, that uh, clinging to or loving to hate, then the clinging to such things. In other words, when I give up relishing that I hate Republicans, I no longer cling to being a Democrat. The upadana, the clinging, is, is, is lost. And so this is how we again end this whole mass of suffering, and everything keeps going right back to Paticca Samupada. The, the relishing of these feelings. That's something, in fact, remember, um, uh, Chitan, we talked at one time about the power of pasa, that mm-hmm. contact. This is the result of it is, is that these feelings are not just momentary feelings, but we relish them. We yep. cling to them. They've really contacted us. And that's what's going on here. Mm. Uh, but when we stop doing that, this entire mass of suffering is finished. So yeah. now when we see a sound with the, uh, or, or hear a sound, or an odor, or a flavor, or a touch of the body, when they know a thought with the mind, if it is pleasant, they don't desire it. And if it's unpleasant, they don't dislike it. They live with the mindfulness of the body, established and limitless, of the heart. Why is it the kaya or the body? Because that's what grounds us in the reality of this present moment. Mm-hmm. That we cannot be mindful of this present moment without having sati for the body. And the sati for the body is best done breath by breath by breath. The establishment of the body is is this a long in breath? Mm-hmm. Is this a long out breath? There it is. All of this stuff ties right back together again. And they truly understand the freedom of the heart and the freedom by wisdom where those arisen bad, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. Having given up flavoring and oppo- favoring and opposing, when they experience any kind of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, they don't approve. They don't disapprove. They don't welcome or cling to those feelings. They don't see the deliciousness and how good I feel to hate Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just an example of how we do that. We actually enjoy our hatred. Having given up favoring and opposing, when they experience any kind of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or something that they're not sure about, they don't approve, welcome, or keep clinging to it. As a result, relishing of feelings dwindles off and ceases. When the relishing ceases, grasping ceases. When grasping ceases, continued existence decreases. So now we're back into Paticca Samupada using the language of uh, the translators, but you've seen all of this before. So that when relishing of the feeling ceases, then tanha upadana cease. 
when Upadana ceases, then Jati ceases. When uh, Jati ceases, um, uh, Bhava ceases. So when the grasping stops, there's no longer a person who's grasping. Hmm. When we let go of stuff, who is it that's clinging? When there's no clinging. So, this whole mass is, is ended. The whole mass of suffering is ended when we end this clinging. This is how the entire mass of suffering ceases. Mendicants, you should memorize that brief statement on freedom through the ending of craving. But the mendicant sati, the fisherman's son, is caught up in a net. <laughs> of views that word net right there okay back to the fisherman a net of views but also this uh vast net of craving and uh a tangle of craving in other words he wants to be that which runs in circles from one life to the next experiencing the good and bad results because he's clinging to feelings And when we give up the feeling, oh, it's just a feeling. Oh, it's just a feeling. (laughs) Then we actually can control it and we can begin to feel the way we want to feel. Rather than having to feel according to this system that's made up. That is what the Buddha said. Edam Voka Bhagava. That's a very famous one, too. (laughs) Oh, is it? Edam Voka Bhagava. Thus the Buddha has spoken. Thus mm-hmm. the Bhagavad. The, the fa- this is the favored talking. This is what the favorite one has to say. Satisfied, the mendicants were happy with what the Buddha says. I think they were pretty exhausted too. Because <laughs> 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 this one was a long one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a bit indeed. But in fact, yesterday we did it an hour and a half to get to the first half done, and this one has taken now just two hours. Okay. (laughs) So that's three and a half hours for a sutta. But (laughs) wow, is it jam-packed. All of the favorite stuff is in there. Good in the beginning, good in the middle, good Mm -hmm. in the end is in there. And Paticca Samupada has just been beat to death. (laughs) How, how can we understand Paticca Samupada and still believe in magical things that have no fuel? And so this actually is a very, very good introduction for people to be, be finally free from that first fetter of personality view, which they go through in detail in this sutta. Who was I in the past? What did I do? Where did I go? What happened? When this happened, did that happen? And into the future, the same thing. What will I be in the future? Where will I go? What will I do? And when I do that, what will happen after that? Or even in the present moment, who am I now? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And you know people get into those kind of questions a lot and get really deep into confusion. Who am I anyway? In fact, one of the songs that was famous in the 1960s was, What's it all about? <laughs> then, in fact, the real question is, Who the hell am I? 
Help me! It's basically just like all philosophy is about that. Uh-huh. All Western philosophy. That's a lot of Western philosophy. You see, philosophy grew up out of the apology for Christianity. <laughs> That's where it came uh, from. <laughs> Interesting. But then we get to the uh, to the ultimate of philosophy is Descartes when he says, "I think, therefore I am." And I said, yeah. "Okay, we can close that book." <laughs> Put that <laughs> back that's not it <laughs> that's not it no but we can say Descartes change a little bit <laughs> instead of saying I think therefore I am we can say I I think therefore I think I am <laughs> that's much closer because that's what that's where the self comes from is that clinging I think I am I think I am this that we relish, we grasp, and we cling to those feelings. And those feelings themselves give rise to clinging to the object. And the object gives rise, the clinging to the object gives rise to a, a noun. In other words, it's hard to have a verb without a noun. And when we say clinging, who clings? It's the clinger. Mm. And I would rather be a cling-on than a clinger. <laughs> but to start, to start jokes aside... We get the point, and that is that there is freedom at the end of this, and that there's many places within it. One is to look at feelings. Don't relish the feelings. Just allow the feelings to be, so I don't like it, so what? Just because the kid's having a tantrum, let me enjoy the tantrum. Why do I have to hate it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or worse still, why do I have to smack the kid because she's having a tantrum? She'll just have more. <laughs> and yet that's how we deal with it. We we get really attached to, I really don't like this. That kid ought to shut up. <laughs> Did that work? Nope. <laughs> All right. So any, either one of you got any parting shots, parting questions for this? Um, all good. No, it's good. It's uh, it's been a very interesting sutta. It's one of my favorites for several reasons. Yeah, <laughs> I said this one I've discussed at detail with Achan Po. This mm-hmm. one I've heard it chanted over and over again, and so this one's a, a very important one. Mm-hmm. I like this. And and that that one word in there, Sati, don't you know that <laughs> consciousness is dependently arisen? <laughs> That's the whole point of it, right there. And if we think that the consciousness is permanent and and survives without fuel, then we're caught into a big net of views and craving and all kinds of things. Uh. And so that's where Descartes was. I think, therefore, yeah. I am. Right? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Just because thinking is going on doesn't mean you are a thinker. <laughs> it's more like thinking, therefore thinking. <laughs> thinking, therefore thinking. In fact, that's exactly what it, the way that it's expressed in the Vasudhimaga when it says that there is the walking and no walker be. Mm. Just the walking. No walker be. 
So this is the real understanding of the nature of the, of the self, that that self arises due to clinging. And then the Pali is using the words uh, bhava and jati, and we're not talking about rebirth there. <laughs> but a lot of people have gotten confused over the centuries because they're trying to add magic to this when the Buddha is working throughout this entire sutta to take the magic out of it and put it back into the reality of the situation is things are conditioned. You have to have a fuel. <laughs> yep. And if you don't have a fuel, you don't have a fire. <laughs> so let's finish this off now. And I really appreciate this. This has been <laughs> such a joy, such a fun trip. Thank yeah. you both. I like the sutta discussion. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> All right, thank you for mentioning this sutra. Um, yeah, um, thanks, Kathleen. <laughs> Very curious. I think we talked about this earlier, but I yeah came across the video on it and studying how the parts came together, which was really interesting because okay. I found it out, the succession, how it went into gradual training and how people got hung up on the embryo thing and the <laughs> rebirth translations. A lot of people were using this to justify rebirth and I couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now you understand that uh, uh, the 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 Dagandaba <laughs> is not a spook. <laughs> it's a spirit, a spirit of um, or an ambiance of uh, romance. Uh. Okay, guys. See you guys. <laughs> Thanks. Great talk. Thanks. Bye, mate. Bye. Bye, bye.